Our scripture reading today is from Luke 24:45 through 48. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Let us pray. God, thank you for spring and renewal, for this beautiful weekend where we can enjoy your creation, God. Thank you for bringing us here today to learn about your love and community of faith. Please open our hearts and minds to hear your truth today. May it convict us and change us to the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Craig, pastor here at Hope Jersey City. So glad you're here with us. We're continuing our sermon series um, titled Connecting Up. In the last past, in the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at what it looks like for us to be truly followers of Jesus. And we, we kind of surmised the sermon in, in, in three ways. What it looks like to be a disciple is to be connected up, connected in, and connected out. Right? Connected up to God connected into unconditional community, and then connected out to a purpose of service. God is calling us to move out. Even as we look up, move in, we move out. So it's a pretty good movement. And we believe like as we uh, lead you guys in, uh, through this, we believe that this will truly be one of the ways we can be formed and transformed by the gospel. As we turn to Jesus, as we turn to community, and as we turn out um, in, uh, in service. Um, this uh, past week was a big anniversary for me. It was the 20th anniversary of The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was probably my favorite movie of all time. And I remember seeing it and just being blown away by the, just, just the, the concept of the movie, the the, the graphics by the movie, you, know, you see the CGI in the movie. And honestly, one of the funny thing about this movie is when it first came out with the trailers and the previews, no one knew what this movie was about. It was confusing. No one knew what it was. Um, there's even a video by Will Smith who was actually first chosen to play the lead role, and he uh, decided not to do it because he did not understand what the movie was about. So he missed out, which actually is a good thing. I'm glad he didn't, he would have messed it up. But, <laughs> so, but no one understood what the movie was about. So the first year it came out, um, it did well. But the second week, it went down. Third week, it went down. And then fourth week, something that rarely happens, it went back up to number one spot. And do you know why this was the case? They attribute this to word of mouth. Like the reason this movie actually became successful again in the, by the fourth week was people were spreading the word. And I was one of them. Like, oh, wow, you got to see this movie. It's amazing. It's so good. You can't miss it out. You can't, I, I, I think I saw it two or three times. I saw it again this week just to commemorate this 20th anniversary. It's pretty weird, I know. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it got popular by word of mouth. 
Have you been, maybe you've actually experienced that through a show you've watched. Maybe when you were younger, Friends. Like, I remember Friends. Everyone would tell me, watch Friends. I'm like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would five people live in the city that's so expensive? It does not make sense. But some of you guys were telling your friends about it. Oh, man, you got to see it. It's so good. That's, that's the way I want my life to look like. Or maybe it was Breaking Bad. Or maybe it was The Wire. Or maybe it was your favorite restaurant. Or whatever it might be, we all tend to spread, um, share things that we're absolutely passionate about. When we're passionate about, we got to let people know, wow, have you seen this? You got to see it. Have you tried this? You got to try it. Honestly, this is how the, 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 the early church, this is how the early church began. This is how the, the, the growth of the church started, how it became so explosive. It started by this word of mouth, this informal way of sharing stories of transformation. That's how it happened. It's interesting. If you're here and you're Christian, you probably think, no, Christianity was spread through crusades like Billy Graham, right? Like you see this massive amount of people, millions amount of people it spread that way through crusades. You can turn to that slide. There's a lot of people on that slide. You think that's the way people are, uh, uh, experience the gospel. Or maybe you think it's through watching a televangelist on TV, and watching the tube and like, oh yeah, that's the way Christianity spread. Or maybe you think it's by someone who is standing on the train station and with a sign. They're like, oh yeah, that's the way it needs to be done. I, I remember feeling when I was younger, I'm like, oh, I'm so feel guilty. I don't, I don't say anything. I don't tell anyone about the gospel. You know, I don't tell strangers. That's not how it happened. That's not how God is inviting us to connect out, to be a witness of his gospel. And they're all, I mean, that's, that, I think that's a problem in our world, in, in, in the Christian church today. We think these are the modes or these are the ways the message of our faith should be spread. I, I remember, um, um, actually, this happened maybe two, two, three months ago. I was with a couple of people I didn't know. It was a meetup, kind of like a co-working meetup. And um, I was just talking. People were sharing, tell, telling me about what they do. And the question got to me. And someone asked me, hey, so what do you do? You look interesting. Tell me what you do. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm a pastor. And immediately I said that, the guy walked away, right? Just like walked away in the middle of the room. I'm like, oh, wow. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> but that happened. But I made it my mission to make sure I'm his friend. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you like me because I'm a good guy, right? <laughs> You're going to love me. And, you know, every time I see him, I would say hi. Every time I would see him, I would say, how you doing? What's going on? He might not even remember, but I just pursued him. And I think that's one of the things that we find happening. One of the problems we find 
in our world when it comes to Christianity is, especially in this moment that we, we, we find ourselves in, this cultural moment where, where uh, politi- political affiliations is somehow related to Christianity, right? If you're a Christian, it means you're this party. And you find that people are hostile towards Christians. People are not as friendly. Christians are seen to be extremists. And oftentimes that causes, if you're a Christian, it might cause you to be reclusive, to hide. And, you know, be afraid and just pretty much hide a significant part of your life. Or maybe out of fear or shame, you might find yourself apologizing for being a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but sorry. Honestly, I've done that. Oh, like, I'm, yeah, you might not understand, but I'm a pastor, and I'm apologizing for being a Christian. It's like someone apologizing for being a fan of The Bachelor. Has that ever happened to you? Have some, that has happened to me before. Like, oh, I watch The Bachelor. It's trashy, but I watch it. It's like they're apologizing for something they enjoy because they're afraid of being judged for watching it. Or whatever show, whatever, you just you apologize. Apologize for something you'd enjoy privately. I think I find that Christians, we apologize for being people of faith. And the stats, stats prove this. Stats prove that we are adverse to being public about our faith, to be a witness to even just say that we're Christians, that we, there's stats that prove this. There's a recent start that done by Barna Group that said nearly half of all millennials believe it is actually wrong to publicly share your faith. Came out two weeks ago. Christian leaders were going crazy. Oh, millennials, they're lazy. You know, they don't know anything. They're not following Jesus. All this. It's especially troubling because we see that more and more people are not Christians. And if you're here, not a Christian, you know, that's fine. We love you. I'm glad you're here. But it's troubling that we are afraid of a significant part of our lives. I think there are two things that drive this problem of is one, a misunderstanding of how to share publicly about our faith. Like I said, we think it's about talking to a stranger you don't even know. We think it's just, you know, telling anyone, everyone, hey, I'm a Christian. It's just a misunderstanding of what that looks like. But secondly, I think it's also a lack, and this is the most important, I think there's a lack of gospel compassion a lack of the grasp of just the immensity of what Jesus has done in our lives. Again, if we are passionate about something that we've experienced, we're more prone to share about it. But when we're not passionate about it, when there's a lack of passion for it, 
Yeah, we keep it to ourselves. We become reclusive. So before I go any further, I want to talk, I, I want to land, this is where I want to land. What does it look like to share publicly our faith? What does that look like for us? But before I get there, I think it's important for us to realize and understand. And my prayer to this is that we grasp, we get a hold of what the gospel is. Whether you're here and you're Christian, we need to hear it every time. We need to hear it every day. We need to be reminded of it. Or if you're here and you're not a Christian, we need to be reminded of what the gospel is. Each week we gather to remember, to reflect, to celebrate the life-changing story of this gospel. The fact that God has rescued us. The passage we just read in Luke 24, verse, uh, starting from verse 36, Jesus had just um, been crucified, and uh, uh, the gospel writers claim that he, ra- he was raised from the dead on the third day. So on this third day, Jesus is with his disciples, his closest friends, th- these guys that he's been with for three years, people that have seen him perform miracles, people that were changed by his teaching, and people that actually witnessed the mind-boggling resurrection from the dead. And Jesus said this, I'll read it to you again. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his names to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. He tells them, you are witnesses of this story. You have seen this. You have, with your own very eyes, you have seen the miracles, you have seen the rising from the dead. So for them, it's, it's more than just a personal story. It is a personal reality. It is real of what God has done for them. They have seen it. And he tells them, you are now witnesses of this truth. I think for, for us, for those who are Christians, even for me, sometimes the gospel could seem so far away. It could seem like an historical event, something that happened 2,000 years ago has no uh, no, uh, nothing to do with my life currently. But I'm rem- reminded that the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, is not just a story. But it's something that God has done in our hearts, in my hearts. It's a revelation of two things, my sins and his love. Frederick uh, Frederick Buechner writes this. He says this. The gospel is bad news before it is good news. It is news that man is a sinner, to use the old word, that he he is evil in the imagination of his heart, 
But when he looks in the mirror, all in a lather, what he sees is at least eight parts. And this is funny. Chicken, phony, and a slob. That is the tragedy. But it's also the news that he's loved anyway, cherished, forgiven, bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. That is the comedy. Truth is, even as I read that, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, I think the question we have to ask ourselves first, wouldn't I want this to be true? Isn't this something that I want to see true for me? But God, in his uh, immense love, dies for me, loves me, cares for me, even in my sins, even in my darkness. And that's the thing about the gospel. It is a recognition that we are all pretty messed up. Uh, Last week I talked about how, what it means to be part of a community. That community, oftentimes we think that other people are the problem. I don't want to be part of a church because I was hurt in the past. I don't want to be part of a community because I, I don't know how they're going to treat me. But we always fail to realize that the problem of community is we, us, ourselves. That we bring our own baggage, we bring our own mess to a marriage, to a relationship, to a community, whatever it might be. All of humanity, we bring our own baggage into into, uh, the table. I meet people. I know people who often medicate themselves with alcohol because... Work is just difficult. Cope with their pain by overeating because life is stressful. And I I could attest to that, overeating. (laughs) Honestly, I'm not ashamed. I love food. (laughs) But I find, honestly, I find myself, when I'm stressed out, when I'm stressed out the most, this weekend I ordered uh, two burgers, Diesel and Duke, from Jersey City here. I got so sick. (laughs) That was kind of my punishment. But just trying to cope with stress, trying to deal with stress. We can find ourselves medicating. Or maybe it's some secret addiction that you're dealing with that no one else knows. As you're trying to cope with your work life, you're trying to cope with your marriage, trying to cope with just, just life. We can find ourselves dealing with life's disappointments just through our evil ways. But even with all that, this is what the gospel is. Even with all our mess, even with how arrogant we can be, he still loves us, he still cares for us. He still reaches out to us. Um, years ago, four years ago, I, um, some people are finding it out now, but I'll just tell you anyway. I wrote a song. <laughs> um, it was a worship song because I used to be a worship leader. And um, the, you can find it. I'm not ashamed now. You can find it on SoundCloud. This is my promo. <laughs> But anyway, four years ago, I wrote this song. And there's this one line that still sticks, sticks with me, even now. 
Um, I, don't, I don't even remember exact words. This is the, just the whole idea that God, even God reaches out for me. God is pursuing me. God is pursuing me. Even in my sins, even when I was still a sinner, he's still pursuing me. He still cares for me. He still loves me. That God is pursuing me. And I say that to you because that is the truth. That, that is really the message of the gospel. This is what the, the, the disciples, this, Jesus' closest friends, are revealing to us that Jesus is pursuing us. He pursues us so much so that God became human flesh. It's a story you'll never hear about. A God becoming one of his creatures. I mean, I want you to see how that is mind-boggling. He pursues you even when we run away from him. And that is probably one of the most difficult parts for us in grasping the gospel. Is recognizing first that we are sinful people, we are broken people, but also recognizing that he loves us still. He still cares for us. Now the reality is, is this, is that once we have gotten a grasp of the gospel, once God has revealed to us just the immensity of his love, it, it does change the way we live. It changes the way we talk. And this is what we see in the life of these disciples. Is that after Jesus leaves and ascends into heaven, they could not stop talking about him, even at the risk of their own death. They were willing to give up their lives because they had witnessed something so powerful, so bold, so strong, that they realized nothing else mattered than to tell and share this story publicly. But here's the thing, like I said, one of the modes through which they shared this news, one of the most powerful ways was not through just crusades or standing in a subway or talking with strangers. It was actually through life on life through the normal rhythms of your life. And here's the thing I realized, that once we've, again, taken hold of what Jesus has done for us, we want to bless other people with that. We want to share this love with other people. Again, it changes the way we live. It changes the way we act. That we are now thinking about others. And this, honestly, this is actually one of the, the, the biggest disappointments of what we see in the church is that oftentimes we, we think that sharing the gospel, um, um, where, where's my notes? I don't know where it is. We, we think, oh, yeah, this is where for far too long we, we become more comfortable 
um, approaching people from a position of power. Right? Like we, we want power. We want more power. We want to have our people in government. We want to have cultural power. We're often more interested in, in, uh, in having people uh, under us. But Jesus shows us that actually, no, to be a witness is actually to come out from a position of weakness. It's a position of service. So then how can we share it? Well, if we're coming from a position of service, if we are serving, honestly, this applies to even your marriages, to your relationships, to your work life. If, if Jesus now has done this for us and we are coming to others under this position of weakness and service, then we are living lives that are hospitable to other people around us. That our homes become these missional outposts to demonstrate what God has done for us. That, That we can invite people to come into our homes to have dinner, to see how you actually do life. Like there are friends that you might have that may not know Jesus, or maybe even you, you're here. <laughs> the gospel, the way it changes us, one of the ways that we see it is that our homes become everyone's home. And this is what I like to tell people. My house is your house. You can sleep over whenever you want. Well, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> You can come and have dinner. Become hospitable to one another. And this is a a, a direct result of the gospel. It's not just because we're nice people. No, it's because God has been so great to us. That even the money I make, I am willing, right? I'm willing to serve you, to buy dinner for you. Because of what God has done for me. So our homes become missional outposts. Becomes places where we can actually demonstrate what God has done for us. Again, our Christianity is practiced through just the normal shared, normal rhythms of life. There's an exuberant attitude of kindness and hospitality. And we're willing to have people to our lives, and to our homes. Secondly, prayer. Now, we are people of prayer. Is that we're, even in our prayer, we're not just concerned about what I need, what I need to get, but we're thinking about the concerns of others. And we're thoughtfully praying about people in our lives and committing them to prayer. And then lastly, after we have built the relational equity, after we have shared life with people around us, with people who may not know Jesus, that we find the space and the time to actually proclaim the word, the gospel. 
this is what often happens with Christians is we, we can be nice people, invite people over, you know, blah, 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 nice, let's have drinks, enjoy. But when it actually comes to saying, telling the story of the gospel, that's where we typically freeze. So, no, I don't want to interfere in your life. And, I, again, this is why one of those reasons why those stats are, are striking or it's true because most of us, we, we don't want to say anything about the gospel to anyone. Even if we're built to the relational equity. Even if we're close friends with them, we, we just, no, you do you, I do me. But the gospel changes lives, not only through, about, through our hospitality, not through our demonstration, but also through our proclamation, through the word of the gospel. That's how it happens. Here's the thing that um, I've been learning maybe the, in the last couple of weeks um, as I've thought about this. And I'll be honest with you. I, I stink at this. I'm pretty bad at it. I'm nice with inviting people over, but when it comes to actually saying anything, I don't, I don't want to say anything because I think the same way. You do you, I do me. Maybe one day something will happen. I don't know. But I'm not intentional about it. I just The first year when we planted the church, maybe last year, uh, a year and a half ago, I would meet with people, just honestly strangers in the street, invite them over for dinner, have coffee with them, and it would stop there. I, I wouldn't say anything. This is true. This is honesty, and this is poor pastoral leadership. <laughs> but that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But the more I've thought about it, even over this week, I've just been so convicted by it. Been so convicted. Because part of it, part of the problem there too is I think it depends on me. That if I say something and they refuse or they discredit or discount me, that that was my fault. I think it's, it's me. But what we see, especially in, in, in the scripture, and we see this, Luke actually writes this in the book of Acts. He says, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will be with you. I think it's actually in, in the chapter we just read, the verse we just read. The Holy Spirit will guide you. What is he trying to tell us? That it's not dependent on us. That God is the one at work. And even if you're here and you're not a Christian, the truth is, my words are terrible. My words are not enough to describe the, the, the power of the gospel. But one thing I'm confident in is that the Holy Spirit is at work to change our hearts, to change your heart, to move others into relationship with him. And this is where Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said this. He's telling the Corinthian, Corinthian church. He says, when I came to you, meaning when he came to actually bring the gospel to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. 
For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Resolved to know nothing else but the gospel, what Jesus has done. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And that's, yeah, that's me. (laughs) That's me every Sunday. (laughs) Fear and trembling. Came to you in weakness. And we often come to, to others in weakness and in fear and in trembling. We don't want to say anything. That's fine. This is what he says. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, sorry, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. My words are not strong enough to describe the power of God to change lives, to change your life. But one thing I'm confident in, that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is able to change lives, to convict lives, to convict you, to convict people around us. We don't have to come with eloquent speech You may not have the intellectual capacity. You might think you need a seminary degree to describe the gospel, to engage publicly in your faith. That we need to have an answer for every question that are posed against us. But here's the reality. The Spirit of God is at work to bring change in people's lives that we cannot do. not with our lofty words. It's not, it's not dependent on how smart we are. Even though those are good things. It's great to have education. It's great to read the Bible. It's great to know these things, but we can't depend on it. The Holy Spirit is at work to convict each and every one of us, to convict those around us. So my hope today, my challenge for you, is that as we live our lives, as we demonstrate the gospel through our hospitality, through our service, through our normal rhythms of life, through the intentional invitation of people into our lives, as we live in prayer for those who may not know Jesus, we will also proclaim the gospel of Jesus, realizing that it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God, who is at work through us. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, my hope, my prayer, my constant prayer, that you experience the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you experience that he loves you. He cares for you so deeply that even now he's pursuing you. Even when you run away, he's still pursuing you. Let us pray as the worship team comes.
even, even before the worship team plays, um, I was reminded somewhere that sometimes the gospel itself is mere silence. It cannot be explained. It can't be explained well enough. But often the truth is in the silence. So even before the worship team plays, I'm just going to invite us to a time of silence, a time of reflection. Jesus, we thank you for the reality of of this good news. That you love us and you care for us so deeply. And even when we are lost in our darkness, in our secret addictions, when we are coping with the stress that you have called us not to bear, that you're still pursuing us and desiring that we experience you and live this fullness, this experience of who you are. So I pray even for every one of us here in this room that even before we can connect out to our world, that we are connecting up to you, that we are changed by you. Before, that, before we can even live out the gospel, help us to embrace truth of the gospel. Help us to embrace your love. And even with the challenges of life, the challenges of our work and the stresses of parenting and everything that we have to deal with, with, God, I pray that even through the noise that we can actually still, still just experience and embrace your love. And even as we do, we can actually truly live the gospel. We can make our homes missional outposts. We can be a people of prayer. And at the same time, be a people who are proclaiming the truth of your gospel. I pray this. Let it be so. For every one of us here, in Jesus' name, you say, amen.